Welcome to A Word from the Valley, a weekly podcast produced for you from Zion Lutheran Church in Middletown, Maryland. For more information about our faith community and our weekly worship services, visit us at zionmiddletown.org or find us on Facebook. We hope you have a great week, and God bless. this sermon sitting in the ER, standing in the ER, they had a little, they had this table there that was about uh, good for standing and only way to keep myself from going crazy um, from a lack of sleep. So that's always a fun kind of sermon to have, right? Wrote after two hours of sleep. So now that all the pomp and circumstance of Lent, Easter, and Pentecost are complete, we're now entering into the season of church here that tends to be my favorite time of the year to preach, but also our least attended time of the year, right? So my best sermons come at this time of year, and no one's here to hear them, right? But you are here today, and that's great. This is a season of growth we ponder not so much the chronicle teachings of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but rather we focus on and contemplate the lessons and teachings of Jesus himself, that being the miracles that he, that he was able to do, the parables, the sayings, that he proclaimed. Matthew's gospel is unique when you compare it to the other four gospels. While Matthew might be the first in our biblical canon, it was not the first to be written. Most scholars believe that Matthew was written around the year 75, 78 CE. The gospel of Mark is the oldest, the second gospel, written probably right after the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Luke, as compared to Matthew, is much more diverse in its stories, has, way more par- has more parables than Matthew's gospel, and tends to have a lot more just stories in general. It's a little bit longer than Matthew's gospel. Matthew really follows Mark in his storytelling, really taking the time to retell some of those same stories that Mark told, but only instead spending a little bit more time explaining the nuances of those stories, where Mark just didn't simply have the time to do that. Matthew, the reason that Matthew is first is is simply a beloved gospel of the church. It is written as a manual for discipleship. So if you like being told what to do as a Christian, Matthew is your gospel. It tells you exactly what to do, how to behave, how to act as disciples of Christ. But the problem with Matthew, and and we'll get to this probably in about October, November, is Matthew's version of Jesus, especially the week leading up to his death, Jesus says some pretty controversial, some pretty hard things for us to hear. It very much is a very holy gospel to read, but it's also sometimes very difficult for us to hear. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, what Matthew is most known for is his, this idea of Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is only, the only time Jesus is ever referred to as Emmanuel is in Matthew's Gospel. And Matthew does this really cool thing. The angel comes to Joseph and says, you shall name him Emmanuel, for he is God with us. But he's never once called Emmanuel. No one ever called, hey, Manny, come over here. He is never called Emmanuel. He's always called Jesus. Right, which is strange because the angel said, you shall name him Emmanuel, right? Which means God with us. 
Instead, Matthew spends his entire gospel talking about how God is with us. And it culminates in the very last verse of Matthew's gospel. Lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. Matthew does not have Jesus ascend into heaven because Jesus is God with us. Matthew doesn't want us to focus on the fact that Jesus left us, but rather that Jesus is always going to be with us to the end of the age. Which leads us then into today's gospel reading. The calling of Matthew, the healing of the hemorrhagic woman, and the resurrection back to life of the synagogue's leader's daughter. On the surface, it's, it's a little annoying to have these three stories lumped together. These two, they're really two separate pericopes. And then the legendary committee skips over some really weird parables, which I think in my um, very sleepy state would have been a whole lot more fun to preach on. Um, I don't know what would have came out of my mouth, but um, that would have been a lot. I love the harder parables to preach on. But upon further examination and, and thinking about why, why, these two, why a calling story and why a healing story would be paired together in the lectionary, I, I started to think that the, that the, the lectionary people were on to something. You know, both of these par- passages describe an important part of ministry, the art of following. Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, but notice, immediately after Jesus calls Matthew away from his booth, he follows Matthew to dinner. And along the way to eat, Jesus encounters a desperate father, a ruler, and a suffering woman who prevail upon Jesus to win his touch, to be restored back to life. So it may be with the church's ministry. Sometimes we go forth and identify ourselves with those who are on the margin People like Matthew who be like, yep, that's exactly who we're going to reach out to. That's exactly who needs to hear the word of God today. But sometimes the church is drawn beyond its comfortable boundaries. And thinking about these parables, I find myself thinking about what it means to follow as a disciple and how the church needs to cultivate that act of following. Jesus is notorious, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, for his companionship with tax collectors and people classified as sinners. I once saw a meme that said, be like Jesus, spend enough time with sinners to ruin your reputation with religious people. That really sums up the Gospel of Matthew in a nutshell. Jesus does things the unconventional way, the politically suicidal way, the kind of way that costs you your job, gets you assassinated, both figuratively and in the case of Jesus, literally. Typically, when, when people start questioning my associations with others as a pastor, I know I'm doing my job right because it's upsetting someone. But I also know in that very moment that my job as a pastor has just gotten 10 times harder because people now have a have a trust issue, right? The gospel calls us to the people on the margins that our world and society often like to overlook. I believe it was Bishop Desmond Tutu that that once said, every church should be able to get a letter of recommendation from the poor in their community. Yet how often do we feel obligated to meet the, the needs of those who contribute more, the most in our community? A little quid pro quo, Right? You scratch my back, Pastor, I made sure your electric bill is paid here at church, right? Yet, that's not how Jesus acts. Jesus is notorious for finding the people who society says is not good enough. 
In Matthew 11, for example, his opponents scorn the company that Jesus keeps, yet Jesus makes much of these tax collectors in Matthew 11. Later in chapter 18, Jesus admonishes the church to relate to unrepentant sinners as if they were Gentiles and tax collectors. In Matthew 21, he is confronted by hostile hostile temple authorities. Jesus puts them in their place, though. He says, even tax collectors and prostitutes enter the realm of heaven before the enemies who speak the will of God but do not live out the will of God. Jesus says the healthy do not need a physician while the sick do. That he has come not to call the righteous but sinners. That sinners need to help. And Jesus' companionship with sinners appears to just be that. Companionship, not treatment. Jesus has many harsh words to say in the first gospel. He directs none of them at the sinners. He does not criticize tax collectors and others for their work. He simply eats and drinks with them. Jesus' actions today teach us that we are called to follow. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is leading us where God needs us to go. Tax collector Matthew doesn't seek Jesus out. Rather, Jesus finds Matthew and calls him away from his life into a new life. But also notice that Jesus doesn't seek out the young girl who died or the woman who has been suffering with hemorrhages for 12 years. He is led to them by the Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit leading us to minister today? When thinking about our own ministry of hospitality, how, how much of our ministry is spent in order to welcome people in? And how much of our ministry is spent on meeting people where they're at? And I think we do a pretty decent job. We, there's always room to improve. But we do a pretty decent job of once people get into our church of making them feel welcome, right? But statistically speaking, the hardest part of someone new entering into a worship space for the first time, is getting out of the car and walking into church. I witnessed this on Easter Vigil, for example. We started church, and there was a a young couple who came to church about five to ten minutes late, and they walked in while we were praying and immediately walked out because they felt like they were interrupting. They didn't want to intrude. And I couldn't finish the prayer fast enough to chase them down the ramp and say, please stay. They were already back in their car is why we place so much importance on our greeters and ushers here at Zion. Placing them in strategic places, only opening up certain doors, directing people a certain way. So that we can make sure that everyone who comes in Zion, whether it be a lifelong member or their first time, that they feel welcomed, that they feel like this is a place for them to worship. But how do we get them from the parking lot? That's the hardest part. Because there's a lot of mentality of this belief that if you build it, they will come. Well, my people, we have built it. Our church steeple is the logo for the town, right? You look out from miles around and you see Zion. We have built the monument to God. But people don't always come. They stay in the parking lot and never get out. Where is the Spirit leading us to be Christ in the world, in Middletown today? We are all fed on Christ's body and blood for this very reason. You are the Lord's hands and feet this day. So where is the Lord leading you 
to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Statistically speaking, people are more likely to come to church if they know someone who's already there, if they have someone to sit next to and worship. They are more likely to get out of the car, go through our ramp, enter our hallway, walk in through our welcome center, and walk into this beautiful house of the Lord if they know that you will be sitting there with them. Because I can sell all the ads on Facebook that I want. I can have the best constant contact emails, have all the state-of-the-art live stream equipment that money can buy. We can have the best website in the world with the, with the most up-to-date newsletter with no typos, which never se- seems to ever want to happen, right? But 80% of people who are looking for a church give credit to them joining a new worship community because they already knew somebody there, because someone invited them to church. So where is the Holy Spirit leading you this day? to make that invite. So pray about that. Because it's, it's nerve-wracking. As Lutherans, I think we, statistically speaking, I know I use a lot of statistics today, but I think Lutherans invite someone at least once every 25 years to church. Oh, once every 22 years. See, we can do that, right? Let this be the year that you invite someone, to make contact, to let someone know, hey, there's a worshiping community for me. But it takes a lot of courage to do that, because we're Lutherans, right? We like to be quiet, right? We don't like to make a lot of fuss. So we need prayer. Prayer is a good place to start. And sometimes it's going to be really obvious where God, where the Holy Spirit is leading us to bring the good news. It'd be like Matthew and Jesus, a tax collector, definitely needs to hear the word of God. Someone like Matthew. But sometimes people find us. People search us out, and we are called to be God's hands and feet and bring them the good news. Rather than waiting for people to come in, perhaps the church should follow our neighbors out into the world, responding to their needs as they emerge. Rather than complaining why so many families rather go to sporting events, why don't we figure out a way to meet them where they're at? Rather than being puzzled over why multi-ethnic communities members in our neighborhood don't visit us, we might find ways to meet them where they're at. Rather than be puzzled why our youth, young adults, and young families feel disconnected and out of touch at church, we might find ways to help them reconnect, to figure out what they need. How are we at encountering people on the margins? Do we engage with them spiritually? Or simply just put something in their hands and never invite them to encounter, to build a relationship with Jesus? Sometimes the church needs to learn the art to follow as Jesus does in Matthew's gospel this day. Where are we being led and who is leading us? That is something which is good and holy for us to pray for this day, I think. Let us pray for that guidance and maybe also pray for a little kick in the pants to go to the places to meet the people we don't know exist.